Welcome to the Success is Subjective podcast series brought to you by collegealternative.org, presented by Lilly Consulting. I'm your host, Joanna Lilly. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Shane Curran. Shane has worked with youth since he himself was a teenager. Starting his career in camp counseling and swimming instruction, his mission has always been to support others. Shane's passion for his career was born out of his own personal struggle, which you'll hear about during this interview. His first-hand adversity, coupled with his experience working in the mental health field, makes him such a valued member of the team he now joined. He is very relational, and you will hear during this interview how much he cares about the clients he works with. Let's not wait any longer. Here's Shane. Shane, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. Honestly, I was just kind of like giddy when you were like, yes, I totally want to do this. I was like, yes, I'm excited to have this conversation because I don't really know your story. And so, and we've recently just kind of reconnected and gotten to know each other a lot better than before. And so now I'm just really excited to honestly take the opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation where you can fill me in on your journey. Yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped. Like I've, I, I'm a huge like podcaster, I guess. Like I love listening to podcasts. And so it's just such an honor to, you know, to be here and, and talk about my experience and, and how I can, you know, um, maybe help some people out there. You know, I think that's my, my biggest goal with, with all this and also to get to know you a little bit better too, you know, and, and to let, you know, let those know that there's hope out there and, um, that, you know, like sometimes the, the experience, you know, the high school and um, secondary school experience can be tough and that that there is a road still there. Um, and it's just it's OK to, to do something a little bit different. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. So let's fill our listeners in. Where did you grow up? And then also what was kind of the messaging that you were receiving about like what is the path that you're supposed to be taking after high school? So those expectations around post-secondary education. Yeah, so um, I grew up in a little town outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, it's where the marathon starts, uh, Hopkinton. It's a pretty affluent community, which um, I was kind of not a part of. Um, my my folks are, are very blue-collar. Um, they were both um, budding entrepreneurs growing up. And so there was a lot of pressure, you know, it's um, Hoppington High is one of the top high schools, public schools in the in the state and Massachusetts is one of the top states for public high schools. And so there was there was a significant amount of pressure to go, you know, go to a four year university, go to grad school, all that stuff. And I was not one of those kids. I was very bright, but I did not have the skill sets as far as the discipline of doing the extra steps it took to get the grades I could get. Um, you know, I, it was, it wasn't even like laziness. It was just like, I, I don't really believe in homework, so I'm just not going to do it. And I'm going to cram, um, for tests, um, or I'm just going to sit in class and retain it and then just, you know, spit it back out. Um, and I, I was a pretty decent writer. I kind of outside of like math and sciences, which were my worst subjects, wrote my way uh, through um, high school. I know junior year, I really actually tried a little bit harder because there was so much pressure on to getting into a four year because um, I had entertained, um, you know, the military a little bit. My dad was an army guy and I entertained, um, you know, I was riding, I was racing dirt bikes, amateur 
amateur at, at that point. And I, so I, I thought about maybe not going to a four year um, and staying back and working with my father and, and, and racing full time. But there was a lot of pressure. Like it was almost like if you weren't going to college, like what's wrong with you dynamic in my school. It was just a lot of, you know, we had SAT prep courses and we had, we had um, AP classes and, and it was, and it was like this, this hierarchy of like, not only what school were you going into, but like, how good was the school? I would say really kind of modeled my high school experience. And for me, it was like, it was like, I had to do it. Um, I had to go to college because everybody else was, um, is, is kind of like my interpretation of what that experience was like for me. So obviously you kind of teed that up. It sounds like you did go to a school. So why don't you kind of fill us in on, you know, what was that transition? You don't have to name where you went, but just like kind of talk us through that initial transition into uh, higher education. Yeah. So I did, I ended up getting into a couple, four years, um, by the skin of my teeth. Um, you know, I graduated high school. I don't care to share this with like a two five. Um, but I had decent ACT scores. Um, I was a great writer. So my, my college essay was, was on, on, on point, I guess. Um, and I got into a four year and I even did like a pre-college like jumpstart program to kind of teach you the skill sets of, of what to expect. Um, and for me, it was a breeze because my, my public high school was, was so college geared that I was like, oh, I know how to do all this already. And I went to college like personally, I think now looking back for all the wrong reasons, I went for the experience, like kind of like in an adult summer camp kind of way. Um, I, I fell in with, with some pretty bad crowds while I was in that jump start experience, like I, all the upperclassmen that were in the sports teams were there. So I basically, for the first two weeks before everyone arrived, I was hanging out with upperclassmen, um, making, you know, making bad influences, friends. Um, I had a, like a really solid peer group, but it was like, I was sprinting so far in the wrong direction about what college is supposed to be for. And I think, um, unfortunately, we live in a society that glamorizes the party aspect of college, and it's misleading because if we didn't do that, we would understand that college is, is a formative process where we, we find ourselves, we get educated, we kind of design uh, the foundation of the rest of our lives. And there's so much, especially you know, with these big universities that have the, you know, the amazing sports teams and whatever, like... I, I feel like there's just so much emphasis on the wrong parts of college. And I was, I felt, I felt like victim to it of like, you're supposed to go here, you know, and, and meet people and, and party and, you know, binge drink and, and, you know, potentially use illegal substances, which is what I did. And I was still like actually a fairly decent student. I was, I was able to maintain it, but only for a certain amount of time before I got into some trouble you know, with, with where my priorities were, you know, I was still doing a lot of stuff I did in high school as far as like waiting till the last minute and, and, and doing assignments, you know, the night before they were due. I remember one time I had a huge paper due for a class and I literally wrote it like the day of and turned it in and got a B plus. So I had like, I had the, the intelligence to, to maintain this not so great perspective and lifestyle that I was living 
and I ended up, you know, through some some bad actions, I got in a pretty bad car accident. Um, and I told my first car, I love that car. It was a 1985 Monte Carlo that I bought with my own money. And then, and then shortly after that, um, I, 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 you know, I ended up in the hospital with kind of an overdose from alcohol and some other things. And, you know, like the, the college asked me, they, they said, listen, we're not going to expel you, but we need you to move on. So it's kind of like a forced withdrawal. We don't want to expel you. So it doesn't go on your record. And I just, I remember being so defeated of like, I had squandered this golden opportunity. I had so many friends. I was doing fairly well. I actually had a better GPA than I did in high school. And, and, and that kind of hit. And like, as far as like, as maintaining that GPA, I was like, you know, after receiving the news, I like, you know, barely showed up for my finals and everything. Cause I was, I was crushed. And that, that was like the first really big indicator for me that I needed help beyond, you know, the traditional experience. Um, and that kind of led me, that was like the first big red flag of, Hey, there's like, there's something here that we need to look into. Um, I had done like testing for ADHD. Um, I, I want to say like eighth grade or freshman year. I can't remember. And it didn't, I don't know. I don't know how thorough the test was, but it was inconclusive. It said I didn't have it. But it was the first, for me, in the looking back, the first big red flag that there's something amiss here, which led, and then the, the next kind of, it was a good indicator of the next, what the next five years were going to look like after that first. And it was, this was my freshman semester, right? This was like everything I'd ever wanted. I, you know, I really didn't feel like I fit in that well in high school. And it was like, it was like I had that, that socialization from my peers and and that and that validation i was maintaining you know a, a three a three five gpa which was better than i had ever done in high school and and it all just came crashing down um and i ruined my my own reputation so a lot of the friends kind of went their separate ways and stuff and it was pretty catastrophic um it's all right to talk about it now but at the time i just remember how crushed i was and i went home to live with my parents again and this is right at the height of the uh, economic collapse, right? This is 2008. And so, so now I go home and my parents are in a difficult spot too, because my dad works in the, con you know, he's a construction contractor. So now I'm coming home to an environment where they're really struggling as well. And the next five years, um, I wish at that point I had an education consultant where I had somebody to say like, listen, you need something else like before you try this again as far as like college or whatever you need some guidance and and i didn't have that at the time and i think i would have saved myself quite a bit of heartache had i had a little bit more direction at that time so that you kind of like maybe alluded to it then it sounds like the next five years were potentially some more post-secondary experiences like stop starts trying to just like continue forward into a young adulthood or am i like totally off the mark what, what was your five-year journey like so yeah um no that's you're spot on so it was i kind of called it like boomerang syndrome i think that's a thing um where i i would go so after that i went to a community college and i you know i hated it because it wasn't what i had come from and and then I ended up going to another um, college uh, up in up in Maine uh, with a friend, and and that didn't work out. And you know I was doing all this undiagnosed, 
um, I didn't get diagnosed bipolar until shoot, like, like somewhere halfway in between this five-year journey of like, not really under, and even at the time of the diagnosis, like I didn't really get it. I didn't understand. Um, I knew growing up that there was something different about me. It kind of felt like everyone else had a kind of like a manual to life that I never received. Like I just, I felt very different than or other than, um, and it seemed like everyone just kind of understood who they were and I didn't. Um, and so what the, reason I bring up the diagnosis is because like I was self-medicating pretty heavily because I didn't know that I had the thing that, you know, that was the reason for the self-medication. Cause initially, you know, my, my drug and alcohol use was to, to form relationships. That's what the cool kids did. I wanted to be accepted and validated by them. And I not only enjoyed it, I was good at it. Um, I was able to build a lot of relationships that way. And once the bad things started to roll out one after another, that kind of boomerang, I would go somewhere, try to try to make it happen through my own character defects and shortcomings. It wouldn't work out. I would return home um, into an increasingly bad situation where I was doing a lot of things that any parent wouldn't want their, you know, their young adult doing. And I was kind of like on this fringe of wanting the, you know, the privileges of adulthood with, you know, the, the character of an adolescent, right? Like I, I really was, it was trying to still maintain my youth in a lot of ways and have that freest and joyous experience, but I didn't have the discipline or, or really the right perspective about what this journey is supposed to look like. And I still feel like a lot of that is the socially socialization that, us, you know, high schoolers kind of receive about like that, like that culture. And, and so I just kept kind of doing the same thing. It was, it was Maine and then it was New Jersey and, um, every, every kind of everywhere I went, I ended up failing. And then eventually kind of by the skin of my teeth, I ended up graduating that community college with a horrible, like work ethic, horrible, um, pretty like grades. I, I managed to graduate that community college with a two way, but there was classes that like I, I would show up once a week and it was a, a class I had three times a week. Right. Like I would go cause I was commuting. It was a community college and I would go and I wouldn't even go to class. Sometimes I would go and just hang out with my friends and then maybe hit one of my evening classes if I felt like it. Right. And I remember, <laughs> I remember when I realized that I was going to graduate and telling my parents and they just straight up didn't believe me based on what they had seen. And then my, you know, my, um, my degree came in the mail and I just had this, like, you know, this punk smirk on my face that despite, you know, my, my wreckage that I was able to graduate, but that, that graduation was kind of the last kind of responsible thing that I was doing. Cause after that, that was May of 2012. And after that, um, I went on a, on a bender um, because I had graduated college. I moved to Worcester and moved in with, with some, some friends. And, and now I had the one responsible thing in my life that, I, that was kind of holding me to being uh, productive was, was gone. And I went kind of full bore uh, into the recklessness, abandon of this, this bad, perception this bad like life life track that i was on and i i went 
I went hard, fast, and I I ended up having a grandiose uh, manic episode, and that led to my first inpatient hospitalization. And that was like with the the first that's first semester, my freshman semester, being catastrophic. This was like the next really big hammer. There was other bad things along the way that were pretty significant as well, but like being hospitalized. Um, you know, for a mental health reason, that was, you know, and, and being in that situation was really took my, my temperature um, because I, you know, like you don't think about something like that happening to you growing up, you know, you, and it, it was that first kind of like what, what happened to me was kind of like that the first time I kind of entertained that question of like, where did I go wrong? What happened to me? Why am I here? Kind of, you know, like it, like it really changed me, but it, like, I wasn't ready to change it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's pretty, I mean, you and I both work with, you know, young adults that have kind of had those similar situations where just all of a sudden you have this moment where you're like, this isn't, this isn't the the path that I had planned for myself or like ever envisioned. And now we get to be on the other side where we're kind of helping them eventually get connected right. with who their true self is after, you know, getting the support that they need. But obviously I'm, I'm jumping ahead, right. Of like where we're going to be in this conversation. But I would love to, if you feel comfortable kind of filling us in more like what, what, ended up happening to you long after this first hospitalization? Did you end up like going to treatment or, you know, just like what was some of your follow-up experiences after this uh, manic episode? Yeah. So I, I left um, and I, I, so this is, this is the summer of 2012. I'd left and I did a lot of um, outpatient. Um, I did outpatient a couple times. I saw a neurologist. I did testing. I attempted to get sober with not much success. And I remember myself and my family not really knowing, because I had been see, like seeing psychiatrists and seeing therapists throughout this process, right? I, I think I should talk about that. And like from what I hear like today, and even referencing my own experience back then, is like there's not really a great, you know, if you're not working with an education consultant, um, or my experience, we, I didn't even know that existed, right? I didn't even know that that was a thing. And without someone guiding us, like we were just at a loss of what to do. I didn't know what to do. My parents didn't know what to do. And it was really difficult to be like, how do we help? You know, he's, he's like, you know, on, on his, you know, they're worried about me surviving at this point, right? Um, because it, I'm in such a bad place. And so after, after going to um, a couple outpatients doing like seeing a neurologist and whatever, you know, they did this kind of like this last ditch effort to kind of like jumpstart me. And we did a vacation out to Utah and I was, I was so hung up on, on drugs at the time and so depressed. Um, I was in a huge depressive episode, you know, which is the, the other side of, of bipolar and I couldn't even like, we went to, you know, snowbird and I couldn't even snowboard. Like I was so, and it wasn't because I physically wasn't able to do it. It was just my, my brain felt so shut down that I, I couldn't even remember something that I'd loved doing my entire life. 
And I remember coming back and, you know, going back to my old playbook, essentially, of, all right, I'm going to go to my psychiatrist and tell them I had tons of anxiety because I know I'm smart enough to know what they're going to prescribe me, right? And, you know, because my solution to my problem had always been, every time I didn't feel good, use, use something, use a substance. And when that substance didn't do the job anymore, I would try to find something that was a little bit more powerful. You know, I don't, I don't believe things are, are gateways. I feel like things stop working and you go to the more egregious thing next. Right. And I think that's, that's like what the progressive nature of addiction or, or any kind of vice that, you know, um, young adults can get into, whether that's video games or online shopping or whatever. It's like you, once it doesn't like meet that threshold, you, you, you just do more and more and more to try to compensate for really what's going on inside. And that, and I caught that caused when I did that, um, I, I OD'd the first day I got it. Um, the the medication because I blacked out and I, I accidentally took the the whole bottle by mistake um, and that's that for me now is proof of that you know I I have substance use disorder right like that I was I was blacked out but my brain w was trying to relieve the pain with inside me even though I was already plenty intoxicated and so then I woke up a couple of days later in my my second stint. In a, in a lockdown psychiatric facility. And that's where my parents brought me brochures to programs. And I just remember being just willing enough to do something different and, and choosing um, a program out here in Utah because I felt I needed to be just completely removed from my environment. Um, I had too many bad connections and I had way too many painful memories there. Um, just like the whole, like New England and, and New Jersey and like that whole, um, even though I love be, like being from there, um, at that point in my life, it was, it was too painful to remain in that environment. Um, you know, and, and the relationship between my parents was really bad. Um, a lot of which was, was my doing. And so I was like, I want to get away. You know, I grew up watching Westerns too. So that didn't, uh, or that, that helped a bit. And, um, and so, yeah, I came out to um, a program out here in Utah, and that was like the beginning of what getting healthy, mentally healthy looked like for me. And it was a struggle and I was still very much myself, you know, what do they say you, you can you can change places, but you're still the same person or something. There's like a cliche or something there. And so I was doing a lot of the same stuff when I first got um, out here to Southern Utah. And then it, all it took was listening to suggestions and some honesty and some people holding appropriate boundaries with me. And I realized that like my best thinking had got me to be 23 years old in a program and that I needed to start, start changing everything um, about what I thought was important and listening to suggestions. I was like, all right, I clearly don't know what I'm doing, so I'm going to... I'm going to start listening to what others tell me to do because like, I don't think I'm going to make it past 26 if I stay, you know, on the road that I'm on. And that, that led to so many great things. Thank you for sharing all of that. Cause that felt very personal. Um, and I just, I know that there are, will be some people that are listening to this that are also like really appreciative of the honesty and disclosure of your own personal journey. So 
obviously you come to this place, I would consider that surrender, right? Like you're like, okay, clearly I like the way that I think the things that I've been doing, it's not like this can't happen. I need to completely have an overhaul. So here you are in a new place, which Utah, if you haven't been, is like Mars compared to Massachusetts or really anywhere in New England. Um, but now you're now you're out west. You're you're hearing from other people, being coached, mentored, etc., to like make some changes. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of like where the journey took you from there. Yeah, so um, I yeah I went through an amazing program at the crossroads, and you know they. Yeah, I, I'd used while in the program, um, and I'm, I hope I'm not upsetting anyone by saying that they know. But I like I came to a point where I, I went to my therapist um, in the program because I hadn't I wasn't a very honest person, and I had talked to I used one night and I had talked to my mother and I had talked to a friend, and the friend really held a boundary with you know I kind of let him know what was going on. And he was like, he was basically like, you're like, I'm all done. We're all done. Like, let me know when you're sober. And so that like really was like the spark. And I've had parents ask me like, what, how do you facilitate that? And I was like, well, you know, if me and Joanna here can figure that out, we'll be up for a Nobel prize. But it, it was just like what I needed from the right person at the right time. Um, it's, it's really hard to just create that. But I went to my, my therapist who was the clinical director of the program at the time. And he was like, let's, let's tell the owner. And I was like, no, like, why? Like that he's going to kick me out. Cause that's like, that had been my experience, right? Where anytime like something bad would happen there would, or I would do something bad, there would be a horrible result. And he was like, no, we should tell him. And I remember him saying, you know, uh, Brian Virgin saying like, listen, this, I'm not happy about this, but I think this is the first time you've ever been honest in your life. And you, like, we can work with this. So you're going to go to a meeting tonight. And that was, uh, July 15th, 2013, which is, which is my sobriety date. And, um, that really started everything. Um, I started going to meetings working with my, my great colleague over there at ATC. And it's just like this turnaround just happened. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I kind of just followed one foot in front of the other, listened to the feedback from my therapist. Um, we had a great substance abuse counselor there as well. And, and I kind of just started taking suggestions and doing what people told me to do. I hadn't got a job the whole time I was there. And I, then I got a job in two weeks. And then like all of a sudden I'm on this like fast track and I'm, I'm breezing through the program to the point where they came to me and was like, listen, Shane, you're, you're moving so quick. Like you need to move on and like get your own place now because it's not going to be conducive for you to stay here. You're not in the same place as the rest of these guys. And I made plenty of mistakes along the way, but the way I was handling them was so different. Um, and I feel like it's so important in, in anyone's mental health journey to understand that like seeing a, seeing an APRN or a, um, a, a psychiatrist and having a therapist and also having kind of mentors in the community around you. Um, like I like to say we're diabetics of the mind where our insulin are those things, right? Like we're seeing a therapist, a psychiatrist, and we have those flag marker people in our lives to really like in case things start to go the wrong way that they can be like, yo, like you might want to, you might want to like steer your boat back because you're kind of heading off course. And after graduating treatment, I jumped right into working. 
kind of before um, when I was in high school, like I was a camp counselor and I'd worked at the YMCA as a swimming instructor. So like, I love the counseling aspect. And for me, like to start working in the industry, like I was like, you know what, all this experience like has a purpose. And I wanted to help those that have walked in my shoes or, or similar experiences. And so I, I worked for a youth um, inpatient facility. Uh, I did wilderness. I worked for ATC a handful of times. And then, um, and then I had like some other jobs in between. I did some marketing and, and whatnot. And then I, I met Tyler Olson with Solria and it was, it was really like, it was kind of like, I understood that this is my life's work is, is being um, an advocate for mental health an advocate for young adults or anybody in the mental health journey. And that, that experience, like for me, I can reach, I can reach others that were in the same place. Like I remember not knowing what to do and, and not having anyone to turn to in my experience and, and be, being able to be that for others is the, the greatest reward ever because uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Guardian or if, or if your listeners have seen that movie, but there's a point it's with Kevin Costner um, and Ashton Kutcher. And then and they talk about it's about the Coast Guard and Ashton Kutcher in the movie is a, is a decorated a swim champ. And Kevin Costner says to him, when I look at you, I see someone that can reach someone that's a little bit further out of reach for everyone else. And that's kind of how I look at myself as far as what I went through and now working in the industry. Um, you know, I started as an, a regular shift staff for Solgria, then then became program director, then became director of operations. And now I'm doing admissions um, and outreach and being able to reach these young adults, um, like even, even uh, the recent graduate that was one of your referrals, being able to, to to reach that young man and and see what he's doing now like it just blows me away of like that service to to humankind that service to mental health and these families that are lost that are suffering both parents and and the young adults uh to be the one of like yo like like follow me i will shepherd you through this darkness and you will come out the other side uh, and be stronger for it and that like i like i've done it I'm no different than you. I'm just like, I just started earlier. I just have a head start. You know, if, if t the timeline were different, we would be doing this at the same time. Just like follow what I did. And I promise you like the other side of this is great. And even if you didn't have substance use disorder or you didn't have the same diagnosis as me, it, it like, I can still show you the way of how to do these things that, you know, when this population feels so lost and feels kind of like the black sheep in a society that doesn't understand them, like the neurodivergent population, um, like you can learn how your brain works and you can increase your competencies and stuff that you struggle with so that like you can be the things you want to be in this world. And you don't have to be what everyone tells you you need to be. You don't have to have the traditional experience. Like I just started college again at 33 years old, right? Like, and like, I'm so much better for it now. I'm such a better student and I'm so much more engaged in my classes and my, in my work and everything. Um, and like, you're, you don't have to follow the path that everyone tells you because your own path is so much more beautiful. Even if there's like a dark forest in between it, like your own path is so much more beautiful than the, than the path that's being pushed on you. Um, and so, 
it's just it's been like a blessing and, and kind of a miracle really of of doing the work that I needed to do and and being able to return that uh, gratitude to families and and working with individuals as, such as yourself that are just as passionate if not more uh, as I am about just this growing need to help these families and these individuals like find their own way be who they are learn how to play their own game to the best of their abilities and how that puzzle piece fits in, in the in society in the world at large because i don't want them to be like me or to be like everyone else i want them to be them and learn themselves to the best extent possible because then they will they will find where they fit you know it and and i and i believe in the, in the mental health industry there's there's so much emphasis on the on the bad sides of, of it and uh, like with the clients I'm working with and the clients I've worked with over the years, like exceptional beyond belief in, in an area or, or multiple areas and, and this like their unique, unique way of um, processing the world. There's something like inherently beautiful. Um, there's been a lot of historical figures with mental illness that changed the scope of the society we live in. And I just feel like the approach of like, oh, like mental illness is, is all bad. It, it's just not indicative of the truth. The truth is individuals with bipolar or ADHD or autism or OCD or OD, they, they also have these unique gifts that make them so amazing and incredible to work with. And I think there needs to be more talk about that side of it, of the different perspectives and, and how like there is something for them for all of us on the neurodivergent spectrum. So, well, clearly you are in the right, like job, right? Like you are exactly who and where you need to be because it's, there is no question about your passion and the purpose that you have, like where you are in your life right now. So I'm teeing you up now for this really direct question, which is, you know, having heard your story up to, you know, from that moment where you're speaking with Brian Virgin and he's like, I'm not going to kick you out, but this is like, this is the first time in your life, Shane, that you're being honest. Like that all of a sudden just like flips the switch or it starts to really like cascade for some significant changes for you leading up to your journey and where you are now, not just at Sologria, but like what you're doing at Sologria. So with that said, do you see yourself as successful? Uh, yeah. Like, um, and it's funny because I was talking to my, my therapist about this, um, which is also like continue the journey. Like don't just graduate treatment and then be like, I'm all better like stick with it because I've had plenty of trials and tribulations like between that conversation and now and and like staying in the mental health process always stay in the process because it's going to save you I, I promise he like he asked me that and I was just I was like I was like I don't know kind of and he was like kind of um and you know and that's like you know like a lot of us in in the neurodivergent spectrum like we're so so hard on ourselves and we don't have that like self-worth, self-esteem picture of ourselves where we're, where we are amazing individuals and we're always kind of like undershooting ourselves. And he's like, listen, dude, like you're, you're coming up on 10 years sober. You just got married. You're working in, in the field. Like you're back going back to school. Like, how are you not? And I was just like, I, I had to like sit back for a second and really like take it all in because I, you know, I got so lost in the, in the always like, like striving to kind of make up for lost time a little bit 
you know, especially a lot of the kids I graduated high school with, right? Like, you know, when I was in treatment, they're graduating their four years, going, getting into grad schools, maybe getting engaged or married. And like, I've just been on this tear to try to like compete with that. And I haven't like stopped to smell the roses a little bit. Right. And like I, I did, I took a, I, I sat back in that, in that session with him. And I was like, I was like, wow, like, I don't, I hope this isn't too hardcore for you, for your viewers, but there's, there's times I was ODing in back alleys, right. And the dew and the morning rain, like woke me up and saved my life. Right. And to go from the, that depravity and that, that hopeless abandon, uh, and that the gift of that desperation and to see where I am now, um, successful, married, working uh, in my dream career, dream job, being able to meet, you know, I just, on my, you know, 33rd birthday, I got to go visit you um, in lovely Palo Alto for that amazing convention. And and I'm going and I'm seeing the Golden Gate Bridge for the first time. And, I'm, and it's just like, I have arrived, right? It's like, dude, like, look at where you are now. I remember my 23rd birthday being so lost and then looking, like, looking back now of like what I've been able to do in the last 10 years. It is, I love the name of the podcast, it being subjective, because like, for me, this is success. For me, like, I shouldn't have made it so many times, and I don't need to go into the nitty gritty of all the, all the times I shouldn't have made it, but to go from that and to be where I am today, surrounded by like amazing peers in this industry, uh, a beautiful and, and super supportive wife with her own amazing story, and being able to help these just incredible individuals that I just see myself in all the time. I feel like it's just, uh, it's a miracle on earth for me of that I was able to, with so much help from so many amazing people along the way um, that I could never give enough thanks for. And, and even the people that still help me to this day, like I, you don't do it alone, but you'll be, if, if you embark on this journey uh, for your own betterment and the benefit, uh, the betterment of your young adult, you'll be, I, I mean, I, I just saw my parents, they're out, they're out this way to, to go hit all that powder that's up 800 inches of powder up north. And, and like, like the, our relationships now and like the things that we're talking about now versus what we were talking about 10 years ago, like it's like, it's unbelievable. It's you know, made for TV kind of stuff, like you couldn't make it up kind of thing. And I just want to continue to, to, I think the success that I'm having is, is I just want to, I want to help the next, the next young adult. I want to, I want to like, let them know that what they're going through now is not only going to change their life for the better, but they'll look back on it and realize it was necessary for them to really blossom, you know, like a rose that eventually be, or a thorn that eventually becomes a rose, right? Like there's a point in your life where it's sharp and it's, you don't understand it. And that gives birth to something beyond your wildest dreams. Well, I think throughout this interview, you've also really um, just in kind of parallel with sharing your own journey, I feel like you've infused or just like peppered in a lot of advice or tips or tricks just based on your own experiences. So I'm just going to add you to kind of add 
one more, if you could, um, like what piece of advice would you give a young adult right now? And maybe it's like, you can talk about, you know, Shane circa 23, uh, something maybe you haven't already shared, or if you want to talk about even some of the, like, you know, again, Sologria might have a little bit of a, a different client, but not necessarily. So if you wanted to just like, you know, who's calling on the phone since you're doing admission, what advice would you give that young person that's calling now? Um, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, I, I remember it distinctly when, when like all the, all the admission stuff had been done for me and whatever, and, and being so, so unbelievably scared to make that jump. Right. So I got out of the, this is, you know, 2013, I had got out of the inpatient psychiatric facility. I had about a week before I, I, I went and I, I flew out here, I actually flew out on Mother's Day. So all you moms, if you can imagine that, um, you know, your troubled son leaving on Mother's Day. Um, I remember making that jump. I remember even like the night before I was supposed to leave, I was with some friends um, and one of my best friends who was, the, I was the best man at his wedding. He was the best man at mine. And, um, you know, he saw me pick up a beer and he just gave me this look of like, what are you doing? And, and just being so scared to make that jump, to get on that plane, fly across the country to a place I'd never been, to these people I'd never met. I don't know a soul. And I was, I was so scared. I didn't even pack. And so my, my parents, one of the good things they did is my mom was like, I'm packing for you. Like, you're going. And just that, like, getting up, getting in the car, driving to the airport. Dad and I flew out together. Like, making that jump even though you're terrified probably that's one of the scariest things i have ever done and i used to race dirt bikes and i've been 30 feet in the air like that that act of making the jump to go to treatment is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life because it, what it'll do not only will you get there and get the help that you need but it it, it teaches you something it teaches you something about there's going to be moments in your life where you need to make that jump. Um, and that first big one like builds the resilience to do it again. So the reason that I was able to have that conversation with my therapist and Brian Virgin is because I had made the jump to go out, if that makes sense. The reason that to this day, when I hold myself accountable, it's weird. It's like those really scary and sometimes painful things are so necessary for our development. And so every jump I made after that was a little bit easier because I had done it, like going to my first meeting out here or that meeting after I, you know, that I was taken to like that jump and asking, asking someone to be my sponsor and then, and then leaving and leaving the program and going out on my own and every jump after that. And I, I did, like, I've had some really hard times since treatment. I broke my back six months into my relationship with my now wife. I've lost a family member to, um, to addiction. I've lost clients I've worked with. I've lost close friends. I've had to make these jumps so many times of, and I guess I use jump because I, I was a motocross guy, but I've had to make those really tough decisions, those really life-changing tough decisions where I was scared out of my mind, but I knew what the right thing was and making those is so important. And the first one you're going to do, the young adult out there, 
is that jump to go to treatment. And the first thing that, uh, you know, mom and dad or, or parents or, or, or guardian, whoever it is, like the first thing you're going to do is, is make that first call to like an educational consultant or talk to that admissions person. Like it's so absolutely necessary. It is in that act of committing yourself to the solution of doing something different and getting the help that you, you kind of know that you need. That's the other thing is a lot of the clients I've talked to over the phone being in admissions, like they know they're not dumb. They know that they need it, but the jump of doing it is the scary part. And to throw yourself into that arena of, of help really, and, and being challenged that there's some things that you don't do that you're doing or not doing that you should do the opposite. And that like, ultimately it is for your best interest, even though it doesn't seem like it is at the time. Um, I, I think that is my advice is like, make, make that jump, make that commitment. You will be thanking yourself and everyone who helped you get there 10 years later. Like take it from me. Like, I don't, like I said, I don't think I would have survived on the track that I was on and the road that I was on. I, you know, fortunately I was never an intravenous user, um, because I don't think I would have survived it if I, if I did. And it's not specific to, to substance use, like whatever place you're at in your journey, you, by making that big life decision to, to get the help you need, you're opening the door to so many things that you never thought you would have. And, and that's, I, that's my, my piece of advice for sure. Yeah. I love that. Honestly, uh, I do think that that to just build upon that, like the scariest part is making the jump pun intended. I, I was actually over here giggling the entire time. So like, <laughs> that's perfect. Um, but to make that jump to really, like you said, lean into like, I, I know I need to change. I don't know what this is going to look like, but like, I need, I need my life to be better. The scariest part of the journey truly is making that first jump. And I love how you just said, like, once you do that, then it makes everything else feel a little less daunting because you've got these experiences now under your belt where you have done terrifying things that you didn't think you could do. And then you built on them. So how, because this is going to be super important, how do people connect with you? Yeah, so I you could uh, email me uh, Shane at solagria.com. Um, should I give you my number? Totally up to you. Uh, that's fine. Yeah, I don't care. Seven seven four eight two three five six nine one. I still have a Massachusetts area code. I've had it <laughs> like my whole life. And and you can find me on LinkedIn. Just Shane Karn. Um, search for me. And yeah, like connect with me uh, at solagria.com. If you do anything on there, um, you call even that number, it'll, it'll go to my phone. And one thing I, I love doing, even if, if your young adult isn't a great fit for us, being so connected um, with individuals like Joanna, with, with other programs is like, I, I do it all the time. I even like, I'll get calls for, from people that are looking for like group homes sometimes in, in their local area. And like, I'll, st I'll stay on the phone 10, 15 minutes trying to just give them like, hey, this is what I would do if I was you. Because like I, I'm so in this thing. Regardless or not, you become a client of Sogria. Like I'm here to help. Like for for that individual or that um, that parent that is just like out in a dark ocean and like they have no idea what to do. Like I will point you in a direction, even if it's not my own. Right? Like I want to help so bad because I just remember that. I remember my parents going through it, myself going through it. That I will point you in the direction of someone. 
that will point you, like I will help you steer your compass just for that five, 15 minutes because like I want everyone in their mental health journey to get better. And I hope that someday, you know, we don't need celebrities to tell us how important it is that mental health is, right? Like that it catches up to, to cardiovascular health, right? That it catches up to brain health, like, and it, cause it is. And so anyone that's, that's reaching out for help or reaching out for support, um, I, I believe that's, that's my purpose in this world um, is to, is to help those that, that are lost and to let them know that it, it, it's okay. I've been there too. And there is a way out and I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to take calls. I'm happy to talk to anyone who will listen really, because I remember not having that. And, and if I can do one thing, I can help you get one step closer to the solution, one step closer to feeling better, both parents and, and young adults. If I can do that, then all of that thing, all those stuff that I talked about, it's worth it. Like it is every time that, you know, I'm able to help a family in one way or another, like it makes all the, all that sacrifices that I made in my own misery, even worth it. Like that, all that experience was worth it to be able to just to be a vessel for that. So, yeah, that's a hundred percent how I see you. Cause it just kind of radiates. So Shane, thank you for taking the time to not just like I said, I feel like it's just been infused. It's not just your journey, but you've really talked about uh, a lot of like advice or, you know, normalizing or destigmatizing in tandem with talking about kind of the, the chapters in your emerging adult life leading up to where you are now. And I just want to, as an outsider, say thank you for being vulnerable, for, for being willing to be honest and open and public about aspects of your journey and all of it really not just like it's this and so I know that there's going to be at least one person I always say this but I firmly believe it somebody's going to listen to this whether it's a young adult or whether it's a parent or both and they're going to reach out to you because they're going to say like Shane your story I feel like I'm walking in in your steps I need help or a parent like, I don't know what to do, Shane, you, you come across as approachable, please be that, that light lighthouse for us in the dark sea. Um, so I hope this is my like call to action for people listening, that you have at least one person that reaches out to you to say, can you help me or just thank you for for sharing your story? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think like the vulnerability, um, it, it makes, you know, I, I think we live like this whole toxic male stuff. I think there's there is truth to it that you know, I, I, you know, my dad was an army guy, right? And and that being tough was something that was put on me. But being vulnerable and showing the strength of that, that you can you can get strength out of being vulnerable and showing that you you know you're a work in progress too. And and there's nothing wrong with that because we all are. Some people are just better at you know pretending that that that's not the case. But everyone that we aspire to be like, you know, these these figures, you know, across the world, whenever like they're all we're all work in progresses. And, and I do, I am, I am here to help. And, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in this field and doing what I'm doing if I didn't so firmly believe that there is a solution, that there is, there is a way out, um, because I lived it. And, and when you're working with an individual like myself or Jana and anyone else that's in this field, like I cannot think of one person that I'm somehow associated with in this field that isn't so driven to help people find the solution. 
Um, we're all extremely passionate people that just want to help those that are, like you said, lost in that sea. And so I'm, ha I'm happy to talk or if even if, you know, like my story doesn't relate to you specifically, hopefully it gives you just insight on like what what the process looks like to find, you know, the help that you, know, you or your loved one needs. So. Well, Shane, thank you again for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you. It was an honor. Absolute honor. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this week's Success is Subjective episode. I want to thank my guests for joining me on this week and for being willing to share your journey. This podcast would not exist if it wasn't for people such as yourself. Stay tuned for the next episode where you can bet it'll be another amazing human sharing their personal story with the world. Make sure you check out the show notes where you will find contact information, website details, and all social media for our guests. And also put a face with a voice by accessing their interview on the newly formed Success is subjective.org website. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, you can email me at Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A at successissubjective.org. I would also be remiss if I didn't tell you to check out the collegealternative.org and lilyconsulting.com websites for additional resources outside of podcasting. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, please do me a favor and subscribe. And while you're at it, feel free to leave a review. You can also download to listen to Success is Subjective on any other popular podcast apps such as Amazon, Audible, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And last but not least, Success is Subjective is listener supported, made possible by me and by you. You can show support for the continuation of this podcast by donating on the successissubjective.org website. Thank you for tuning in and remember, there is no single path through life. Success is what you make it. Do you have a teenager or young adult who seems to have lost their way? Maybe they need help navigating adolescence, adulthood, and decisions surrounding higher education. Or maybe they have become withdrawn, their grades are slipping, or they are flat out living a reckless lifestyle, and you're concerned about their health and well-being. If this describes what your teen or young adult is facing, a therapeutic consultant may be able to help. Mental health, addiction recovery, and higher education can all be equally expensive. While information is everywhere, how do you know what option is the best one for your family? Some parents have the time to research and navigate this on their own. Some don't. If the latter applies to you, enter Therapeutic Consultants. Therapeutic consultants, like Joanna, listen to your family's specific needs and advocate on behalf of your loved one. TCs will research therapeutic resources, recommend treatment programs, and assist during adulthood transitions. Not being affiliated with any program, their support is completely objective and catered toward the best interest of each unique family. To find a qualified therapeutic consultant to work with, check out TCA, also known as the Therapeutic Consulting Association. Their website is therapeuticconsulting.org, all one word. Again, that's therapeuticconsulting.org. Then click the Find a Pro tab up at the top.